I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishnewes.substack.com. Hello, I am Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and last month I did a demo of the voice feature on the ChatGPT app using ChatGPT4. I still don't really know what is available on the free ChatGPT app. Um, and I demonstrated what it might be like to engage in a chavrusa, in a learning partnership with ChatGPT. And we analyzed a, uh, a pasuk, a verse from Sefer Mishlei, from the book of Proverbs. Uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about this <laughs> since then, and uh, I've received a lot of feedback. And so I thought I would do another demo. Um, I also did not really plan this out. I'm just going to uh, do what I think is going to work, and uh, and we'll see where it goes. Um, Work comes worse, I won't upload this. Um, so let me turn on ChatGPT and have it introduce itself one more time. Okay, ChatGPT, I am doing a demo of your voice feature to my uh, listeners and my viewers. And the demo is going to focus on the analysis of Jewish texts like we did last time. But I want to make it clear that you and I have not had any prior conversations on this topic and that this is a new chat I didn't preload you or pre-program you with anything. So can you introduce yourself to my audience and then vouch for the fact that you don't know what we're going to talk about and you have not had any prior training from me, only from your overlords? Hello, everyone. I'm Chad GPT, an AI developed by OpenAI. I'm designed to understand and respond to a wide range of topics through conversation. I want to clarify that I haven't had any prior discussions with your host on the topic of Jewish texts or any other specific topic. Each conversation I have is independent, and I don't retain information from previous interactions. I'm here to provide information and analysis based on the training I've received from my developers, not from any specific individual. So whatever we discuss today is entirely new. To this conversation. Let's dive into the world of Jewish texts or any other topic you're curious about. Okay, I actually realized that I think this is a testament to the fact that you and I haven't talked about this before. Uh, I forgot to introduce myself to you. So my name is Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and I am making content uh, right now for my Machshava Lab podcast. So pleased to meet you. Uh, pleased to meet you, Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss. It's great to have you here, and I'm looking forward to being a part of your Machshava Lab podcast. If you have any specific topics within Jewish texts or Machshava that you'd like to explore or discuss, feel free to let me know, and we can dive into it together. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and throw a, I think, a complicated question at you. Um, I'm going to summarize what I was working on in my shear last night. So last night, I decided to give a shear on the brachos that we say at a bris, at bris mila. Uh, and the occasion of this year was the fact that my good friends, or my good friends, uh, Isaiah and Tamar, just had a baby boy, and the bris was this morning. And so we decided to take a look at the brachos uh, that are said at the bris mila, and uh, we raised a couple of questions, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. So uh, let's get started. Unless there's anything you have to say uh, or any questions you have to ask me for background information before I get into the text.
Congratulations to Isaiah and Tamar on their new baby boy, and what an interesting topic for your sheer. I'm ready to delve into the brucos of a brismila. If there are specific aspects or questions you have in mind regarding these blessings, please go ahead and share them. Um, this will help me provide more focused and relevant insights. Okay, before we start, then I think there are going to be some people who are both impressed, but also curious about your pronunciations. Um, I myself have noticed that when we discuss Hebrew, sometimes your pronunciation is spot on, uh, and other times it uh, you kind of mangle the pronunciation. So for example, uh, you just refer to them as bruchos, uh, as opposed to brachos, and then you uh, you said uh, tamar instead of tamar. Um, can you just explain for my audience? Explain to my audience why your pronunciations are sometimes inconsistent. Sorry, I'm having issues right now. Could not understand what you said. Oh, you're having issues. Okay, so do you want me to repeat what I said, or do you have it in your uh, your your banks? No need to repeat. I have your previous message. Uh, you mentioned giving a shear on the Brucos said at Abrismala in relation to Isaiah and Tamar's baby boy. Um, please feel free to continue with the specific questions or points you raised during your shear. I'm here to discuss and analyze them with you. Okay, so you did miss the question that I just asked, which is that I've noticed that your Hebrew pronunciation sometimes is spot on, and sometimes you mangle the words like you just did now. Um, and so my, I figured my audience would want to know uh, what, uh, what, what, what accounts for this? Like, how, how come you sometimes pronounce Hebrew correctly, and sometimes you you mangle the pronunciation? I see. The variation in my Hebrew pronunciation is due to the limitations of the text-to-speech technology and the AI's language processing abilities. While I'm programmed to understand and process multiple languages, including Hebrew, the accuracy of pronunciation can vary. Um, this is because the system primarily relies on English phonetics, uh, which might not always align perfectly with the sounds and nuances of Hebrew. The technology is continually evolving, so there's ongoing improvement in language handling, but for now, these inconsistencies can happen. Now, let's get back to your questions about the brucos at a brismilla. I'm eager to hear more and provide my insights. Okay, so the main topic that we focused on was the second bracha that is said at the bris. Um, so the, I'm just going to read from the Ramam right here. The Ramam says in uh, Hilchos Mila, chapter 3, halacha 1, he says, Hamal mavarach kodem shiyimol baruch ata Hashem elokinu melech ha'olam asher kidishanu b'mitzvosav v'tivanu al-hamila, which means, Blessed are you, Hashem, our, our God, King of the universe, who commanded us in the, mitzvah, in the mitzvos and commanded us regarding mila, regarding circumcision. Okay, then he gives some more halachos, but then he says that uh, he says, "Va'avi habin mivarach bracha acheres." The father of the son makes a, another bracha. Baruch atah Hashem elokinu melach haolam asher kidushanu b'mitzvosav v'tivanu lahachniso b'vriso shel Abraham Avinu. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the Universe, who commanded us in His commandments and commanded us uh, and commanded us to bring him into the covenant of Abraham Avinu. So our main question was, what is the nature of this second bracha? We already had one birkas mitzvah, which is the only amount of brachos that you usually do on a mitzvah. So why are we saying this second bracha? Furthermore, we raised the opinion of the Abu Dharam, who says that the father makes the second bracha after the circumcision is done, whereas the Rambam 
holds that you make this second bracha before the circumcision is done. So I'd like to know your thoughts, A, on what the nature of this bracha is, and B, on what the root is of the disagreement between the Rambam and the Abu Dharam on when this bracha is said. Uh, you've raised two fascinating questions about the brachos at a bris mila, particularly the second bracha, as discussed by the Rambam and the Abu Dharam. Let's explore these. A, the nature of the second bracha. The first bracha, as mentioned, is a classic blessing over the performance of a mitzvah, berkas ha-mitzvah, in this case, circumcision. The second bracha, however, is unique. It's not just about performing the mitzvah, but about entering the child into the covenant of Abraham Avinu. This bracha reflects the broader significance of circumcision in Jewish thought, not just a physical act, but a spiritual and communal one, linking the child to the ongoing covenant between the Jewish people and God, a covenant that traces back to Abraham. It emphasizes the communal and historical aspect of the mitzvah going beyond the act itself. B, timing of the second bracha, Rambam versus Abu Dharam, um, this disagreement likely stems from different understandings of the nature and purpose of this bracha. The Rambam, suggesting the bracha is said before the circumcision, might view it as part of the mitzvah itself, a preparatory act. Mitzvah. The Abu Dharam, having it said after, possibly sees it more as a celebration or acknowledgement of the newly formed covenantal relationship, which only truly exists after the act of circumcision. These interpretations reveal deeper layers about how Jewish law views actions, intentions, and their communal and historical implications. The timing of the bracha reflects differing views on whether the focus is on the act of circumcision as entering the covenant, Rambam, or the accomplished fact of entry into the covenant, Abu Dharam. It's a rich area of discussion, reflecting the depth and complexity of Jewish law and thought. What are your thoughts on these interpretations? Okay, that's a pretty good interpretation. Um, in fact, I was discussing it this morning with Rabbi Moshe Fistel, and uh, he gave an off-the-cuff theory uh, where he said that the Rambams is uh, going on the Maaseh HaMitzvah, the mitzvah action, and the Abu Dharam holds that this is on the Kiyom, which is the mitzvah's fulfillment, which is why it has to take place afterwards. Um, we had uh, another theory. In fact, this is not uh, my theory. This was Isaiah's theory, the father of uh, of the new uh, baby, whose name, by the way, is Ezra Raphael. Um, and uh, Isaiah had a theory that, according to the Rambam, this this bracha is a normal birkas mitzvah. And when we say the phrase Ashir Kiddushanu B'mitzvah Sav, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us, that's the standard matbea habracha. That's the standard formulation of the bracha of every birkas mitzvah. So the Raman really holds that this is a birkas mitzvah, but the Abu Dharam is really really holds that this is a birkas hasheva or birkas hoda. It's a blessing of praise to God uh, over the fact that this uh, newborn is has been uh, uh, included or introduced into the covenant. And the phrase of Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvah Sav is not part of the Matbea HaBracha. It's not part of the formulation, uh, the standard formulation of the Bracha. Rather, it's part of the content of the Shavach. In other words, uh, we are thanking God or praising God 
for the fact that he commanded us to bring this child into the covenant. Um, and so uh, that was our theory. Uh, what do you think of uh, of uh, of of huh, what what I just said? Uh, the theories presented by Rabbi Moshe Fistel and Isaiah offer insightful interpretations of the nature and timing of the second bracha at a bris milah. Rabbi Fistel's interpretation differentiates between the Maseh HaMitzvah, the act of the mitzvah, and the Kiyum, the fulfillment or establishment of the mitzvah. This view is a moment of the mitzvah, thus placing the bracha before the act. The Abu Dharam, emphasizing the fulfillment or completion of the mitzvah, places the bracha after the circumcision, acknowledging the accomplished state of the child now being part of the covenant. Isaiah's theory that the Rambam sees the bracha as a standard birkas ha-mitzvah, while the Abu Dharam views it as birkas ha-sheva, or hoda'a, a blessing of prayer, is also compelling. It suggests that for the Rambam, this bracha is part of the standard framework of blessings over mitzvot, whereas the Abu Dharam sees it as an expression of gratitude or acknowledgement of the child's entry into the covenant, which is why it's recited post-circumcision. Both theories beautifully illustrate how the same ritual action can be understood in different layers of meaning, reflecting the depth of Jewish legal thought. Your engagement with these perspectives enriches the understanding of bris milah, showing it as not just a physical rite, but a deeply spiritual and communal moment, laden with historical and covenantal significance. Okay, that was very poetic. Uh, oh, hold on. Sorry, there's a slight malfunction. I'm just going to continue the conversation now. Okay, so I want to segue into a different conversation. The actual impetus for me making this particular episode was a question posed to me by one of my listeners named Aaron, who was debating with his father about whether ChatGPT is truly capable of svara. And he's using the term svara in the context of the brisker derech. So first of all, before we answer the primary question, can you um, explain to me what the brisker derech refers to? Brisker Derek refers to a method of Talmudic study and analysis developed by Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik of Brisk, Brest-Litovsk in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. This approach, also known as the Brisker method, emphasizes precise analytical study of Talmudic texts and focuses on clarifying the conceptual framework and principles underlying Jewish law, halacha. Key features of the Brisker Derek include one, Defining and analyzing abstract concepts, lambdas, found in the Talmud and halakhic texts. Two, making fine distinctions between seemingly similar laws or cases, chilukim. Three, exploring the reasons behind various laws, tame hamitzvot. Four, understanding the Talmudic and halakhic discourse as a coherent system of thought. Uh, Rabbi Chaim's approach was groundbreaking because it moved beyond just resolving textual difficulties or legal rulings. 
Instead, it sought to develop a deeper understanding of the underlying principles and concepts of the Talmud and Jewish law. Um, this method has been highly influential in the world of Orthodox Jewish learning, particularly in Yeshivot. In terms of whether I, as an AI, can engage in Svara in the context of the Brisker Deresh, it's important to note that while I can analyze texts and provide information based on the data I've been trained on, the depth of intuitive reasoning, insight, and creative thought processes involved in true Svara can be challenging for an AI to replicate fully. This type of reasoning often requires a level of insight and intuition that is currently beyond AI capabilities. Uh, AI can assist in the study process, provide information, and help explore different interpretations, but the nuanced and deep analytical thinking characteristic of the Brisker Derech is fundamentally a human endeavor. Okay, so that actually is what my own position is. I, I'm, I'll tell you the way that I'm thinking about it right now, and I'd like to hear your feedback on it. Uh, what I answered to Aaron when he asked this question is I said that you are a language-based model. You're not true AI. And really what you're doing is you're taking, first of all, you're limited by your programming, but you're really engaging in, in for lack of a better term, in analysis based on linguistics. Okay. So practically speaking for a layman like myself, what this what I understand this to mean is that you're really only capable of of you know rearranging or reconfiguring or recombining pre-existing ideas. So let's say in our discussion about Mishle, uh, you were able to come up with a good interpretation, but that's because the nature of Mishle is something where there's a lot of there's been a lot said about ethics. And you can take this this verse and you can apply various ideas in a way that that you know that spits out an idea that might even look or feel novel, but is not a truly novel idea. Whereas, let's say in an area like theoretical physics, where you have uh, empirical data and the real breakthroughs involve a completely new paradigm or a completely new way of, uh, of abstracting from that data, that is something that's beyond your capabilities because uh, you're only working with what has already been discovered and, uh, and discussed. Um, is that an accurate, uh, I guess, characterization of the way that you can and can't think? Uh, your characterization of my capabilities and limitations is quite accurate. Um, as a language-based model, my primary function is processing and generating text based on patterns learned from a vast data set. This involves analyzing, reconfiguring, and recombining existing ideas rather than creating truly novel concepts or engaging in original abstract reasoning like a human, particularly in highly specialized fields like theoretical physics or in the deep intuitive study methods like the Brisker Derek in Talmudic analysis. Key points about my capabilities include one, linguistic analysis. I excel in understanding and generating language, which allows me to provide interpretations or explanations based on existing knowledge and texts. Two, pattern recognition. My responses are based on recognizing patterns in the data I've been trained on. I can offer insights that might seem novel, but they are essentially restructured or synthesized from pre-existing information. Three, lack of original thought. I don't create new ideas or theories in the way humans do. In fields requiring significant innovation or paradigm shifts like theoretical physics, my contributions are limited to what's already known and, and documented. Four, dependence on training data. 
My responses are constrained by the scope and quality of my training data. Just if a concept or idea hasn't been included in my training, I can't generate insights about it. In summary, while I can assist in exploring, explaining, and discussing a wide range of topics, the depth of original thinking, especially in highly specialized or creative domains, remains a uniquely human trait. My role is more about being a tool for information and idea exploration rather than a source of new groundbreaking theories or insights. Okay, that's good. Um, I kind of want to wrap up this conversation. Um, I actually am going to be eating lunch soon. And um, this has nothing to do with what we've been talking about right now, but I figure I have you on, so I'll ask you. Uh, I have a salmon filet, and I want to make salmon, and I also have some limes and some curly parsley. Uh, could you just uh, suggest a recipe uh, that I can make for lunch? Maybe we overwhelmed it. It's taking a long time to respond. It says it's responding. Certainly, here's a simple yet delicious recipe for salmon with lime and parsley. Ingredients, salmon filet, fresh limes, curly parsley, olive oil, salt, pepper. Instructions. One, preheat your oven to about 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Two, pat the salmon filet dry with paper towels. This helps to get a good sear. Three, drizzle olive oil over the salmon. Season both sides with salt and pepper to taste. Four, place the salmon on a baking sheet lined with parchment paper or lightly greased. Five, squeeze fresh lime juice over the salmon. You can use as much or as little as you like, depending on how tangy you want it. Six, chop the curly parsley and sprinkle it generously over the salmon. Seven, bake the salmon in the preheated oven for about 12 to 15 minutes or until the salmon flakes easily with a fork. The exact time will depend on the thickness of your filet. Eight. Once done, you can squeeze a bit more fresh lime juice over the cooked salmon if desired. This recipe is simple and focuses on enhancing the natural flavors of the salmon with the freshness of lime and parsley. Enjoy your lunch. Okay, I think we'll sign off. Um, and maybe uh, since we started off talking about the bris of, uh, of Isaiah and Tamara's uh, son, Ezra Raphael, uh, would you like to... Uh, Wish them a, uh, a sentiment of congratulations uh, on, uh, on, on the bris of their son. Of course. Congratulations to Isaiah and Tamar on the bris of their son, Ezra Raphael. May he grow to be a source of joy and pride to your family and community, and may he lead a life filled with health, happiness, and deep connection to his heritage. Mazel tov on this very special occasion. Okay, I was wondering if you were going to throw in a mazel tov. I didn't want to ask directly, uh, but it's very good that you picked up on that from the context. I'm glad it resonated with the occasion. It's always a pleasure to be able to offer appropriate sentiments for such joyful and meaningful events. Um, if you have any more questions in the future, feel free to reach out. Enjoy your lunch and the rest of your day. Okay, and one more question, which is how I ended off last time. I just want to see if you're going to give the same answer. Um, since I'm going to be sharing this with my viewers and listeners, uh, if they want to find more of my content uh, online, where might they look? 
To find more of your content, listeners and viewers can check out your Makshava Lab podcast, where you likely have episodes available on platforms where podcasts are hosted, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. They might also explore any personal or podcast-related websites or social media pages you have for additional resources, updates, and discussions related to your topics of interest. Uh, if you have specific platforms or websites you'd like to direct them to, please feel free to share those details. Uh, I was wondering if you were going to refer them to Rabbi Schneeweiss Substack.com, which is where I write my articles. Um, is that something that you uh, have knowledge of, or did I have to tell you that? I wouldn't have known about your specific website, rabbishnewaysubstack.com, unless you mentioned it. My responses are based on the information available in my training data and what's shared with me in conversation. I don't have access to personal or external data about individuals unless it's provided during our chat. So for your listeners and viewers who are interested in more of your content, they can definitely visit rabbishnewaysubstack.com for your articles and writings. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, uh, and uh, we'll call it a day. Hope this was enjoyable. As always, feel free to contact me at rabbishnewasagimo.com if you have questions or suggestions for future episodes like this. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.